0: Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast, where we share weekly sermons from our church services. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. We are a multi-generational family church located in the heart of Little Rock. Calvary's mission is to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. Whether you've long been part of our church family or are tuning in for the first time, we hope our podcast provides the same kind of welcoming space you'd find here on Sunday mornings. Most of all, we hope this space helps you engage God's Word and grow in your faith.
1: This morning, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. And Exodus 32 is what uh, some of the commentators that I've read will call an ironic uh, interlude. An ironic interlude. Ironic in that we're going to read about something that we are not expecting. The story is going to kind of take a twist, a turn, and uh, an interlude is really a story within the story. And again, it's something that um, we really don't expect. Before we read Exodus 32, let's just kind of review the story of Exodus very quickly, kind of bring ourselves, kind of get the back story here. Before we dig into chapter 32. And the backstory is at the beginning of Exodus, he calls Moses to lead his people out of bondage in Egypt. So he sends Moses, who's actually grew up in Egypt and was now a fugitive at the time of his call, he sends him back. And through Moses, God told the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, to let my people go, meaning the Israelites. And Pharaoh promptly said no. So God sent 10 plagues upon the Egyptians, powerful plagues of judgment against them. And after the 10th plague, Pharaoh finally changed his no to go. And he lets the Israelites leave Egypt, and they don't leave empty-handed. You might remember they take with them the gold and silver and all kinds of fabric and linen, very priceless items, take animals, and they really leave with the wealth of the Egyptians. They make it as far as the Red Sea when King Pharaoh changes his mind, sends his powerful army after them, and then you might remember God's mighty miracle of deliverance where he parts the waters of the Red Sea. The Israelites walk through on the dried land, and are saved. The army uh, ill-advisedly follows after them, and the Egyptian army drowns when the waters cave in on top of them. So God's mighty hand of deliverance seen once again. Then they cross through multiple deserts, very rugged, barren deserts, and all along the way God provides water for his people in that desert food for his people. They wake up and next to their tents is this honey bread called manna, and he feeds them every single day. They're attacked by a a band of desert marauders called the Amalekites, vicious, vicious people, and God allows them to overcome and defeat the Amalekites. He protects them. They come to Mount Sinai, this beautiful mountain in the middle of the desert, And they have this extraordinary encounter with God at Mount Sinai. You might remember that scene in the middle chapters of Exodus where the mountain's on fire as the presence of God is there. And uh, there's lightning and thunder flashing in the background. The ground beneath them is trembling from earthquakes. And they're hearing this loud heavenly trumpet blast that gets louder and louder. And then the voice of God comes from the mountain and gives them the Ten Commandments directly, verbally. And in the midst of that, God tells the people, you are going to be my holy nation. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. You are going to be my treasured possession. And then shortly after that, he gives them more details about this covenant, the law that he's giving them. It's summarized by the Ten Commandments, and then he has a, a ceremony, kind of a covenant ratification ceremony with his people, again at Mount Sinai. And in that ceremony, God promises to bless them, to set them apart, to use them, to show all the other peoples of the, of the world who he is. And their part in the covenant was to obey. And twice in that chapter, the people proclaim loudly, We will do everything that you've told us to do. We will obey your commands. And then after that, Moses goes back up on top of the mountain, and he spends some extended time with God. We find out later it's 40 days and 40 nights. And God then begins to give him this vision, this blueprint for the tabernacle, his house, where he's going to live directly, physically, among the people. And we've talked about the tabernacle. We've, we get a play-by-play of details of this blueprint in Exodus. And we've looked at that the last few weeks. He even told us who was going to build it. Two guys, one named Bezalel and the other Oholiab. We're going to lead the people, these craftsmen extraordinaire. We talked about them last week. Well, right now, in terms of the chronolo- chronology, the tabernacle was just a vision. Moses is up on the mountain. The people are down at the base of the mountain waiting for him to come back. And that's really the setting for Exodus chapter 32. So let's look at it. Again, it's an ironic interlude in the story. What does that mean? Well, let's pay attention to what it says. Verse 1 of chapter 32, it says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Wow, that's a little surprising, isn't it? I don't know about you, but when I read stories like this, I think, wow, Really? How quickly you have forgotten all that God has done for you. How shallow can your faith be? How weak can your faith be? How fickle can your faith be that you're you're just suddenly now going to turn on this God who's provided so miraculously and abundantly for you and disobey him? This is a direct violation of some of the commandments. Especially the first two, have no other gods before me and make no idols. And then immediately the people say, well, we want a God. And so make us a God, Aaron. Aaron, by the way, is Moses' brother. He's been left in charge of the people down at the base of the mountain. So Aaron, verse 2 says, Well, take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing And bring them to me. These were the earrings they got from the Egyptians. So all the people took all of their earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. So here they're fashioning a god, an idol, that would have looked like one of the gods that they had seen and knew about in Egypt. And they wanted this God to represent their God, Yahweh, the one who brought them out of Egypt, again, in direct violation of God's covenant law. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there'll be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and then got up to indulge in revelry. So now they're having this religious ceremony, and they have a a feast that goes with the ceremony, and they all end up, by all implications here, Many of them drank way too much. They got drunk and they indulge in revelry. That's almost always a sign of sexual immorality when we see that term in Scripture. Not a good day for the people of God and uh, not a good day for Moses. Look what it says in verse 7. The Lord then said to Moses, go down. Because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. I think it's interesting here. This is the God who sent Moses back to Pharaoh. And through Moses, God said, let my people go. And he consistently describes them as his people. And again, at Mount Sinai, he said, you will be my people, a treasured possession But now here, he's telling Moses, you need to go down because your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, have become corrupt. This kind of reminds me of my childhood a little bit. My brother and I had a season in our lives when we uh, were at home during the summers with my stay-at-home mother, who was uh, taking care of us, and there were some times, believe it or not, when we were not so good. And it was usually because my brother, my older brother, was just pummeling his little brother. And so I, you know, I had to do something. To Well, when my dad would get home on those occasions, my mom would often say, let me tell you what your sons did today, what your boys did. And so uh, it wasn't my boys, it wasn't our boys, it's your boys. I think God's doing the same thing. He's distancing himself from his people because he is so angry at them and so disappointed with them. They become corrupt. And then it says, they have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them. I mean, literally, chronologically, this event happens right after the covenant ratification ceremony. And then Moses is up on the mountain for over a month, so really, if this covenant, if you think about it being a signed agreement like we have contracts, then the ink would not have even had time to dry. And they've already broken their promises to God, terribly. And they've violated the covenant. And uh, so they've been quick to turn away quick to forget and they've cast this idol in the shape of a calf they bow down to it they've sacrificed to it and they've said these are your gods israel who brought you up out of egypt what a disappointment god is angry he says i have seen these people verse 7 the lord or verse 9 the lord said to moses and they are a stiff-necked people that means they are stubborn and they're rebellious and they're consistently weak in faith and disobedient. That's what he means stiff necked people. And then he says, Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. And then he says, I'll make you into a great nation. So essentially, God is saying, I'm seriously thinking about plan B. Plan B is that I'm gonna get rid of these rebellious, stiff necked people who disobey me, who've broken my covenant before it's even had time to be established and for the ink to dry on the commitment. And so I'm going to start over with you. Now, some of us might, if we were in Moses' place, might see that as a compliment, like, wow, God wants to to, to build his nation out of my lineage, uh, out of my descendants. But Moses is absolutely overwhelmed with what he says and says, no, Lord, you cannot do this. Look what Moses begins to say, begins to intercede for the people in verse 11. He sought the favor of the Lord and he says, Lord, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give your descendants all this land I've promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. So basically, Moses is telling God, look, you can't do this. What are the the pagans going to think, the Egyptians going to think, that you brought your people out here just to destroy them? You can't do that. What about your reputation, God? And what about the promises that you've made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to all of the people of God and the patriarchs? You've got to come through with your promise. You always deliver on your promise and promises. And so, interestingly, verse 14, it says, Then the Lord relented, and he did not bring on his people the the disaster that he had threatened. It's a very interesting kind of theological thing here that's happening. It appears that God actually changes his mind based on Moses' intercession. Might have something to say to us about prayer. If you read through Scripture, we see pretty consistently that God doesn't just want us to pray to tell us things that he already knows. He wants us to pray and ask him to do things. And I believe that things happen when we pray that would not happen when we don't pray. God releases his power into our circumstances, our needs. God even changes You see this pretty consistently in Scripture. On occasions, he changes when people change through prayer and intercession. And so God decides to relent and not bring the disaster that he had threatened. Now it's Moses' turn to go down the mountain, and it's going to be Moses' turn to get angry, we're going to see. Moses turned and went down the mountain, verse 15 with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands, and they were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. So after God spoke the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, he then writes them down on these stone tablets, front and back, two tablets, gives them to Moses. And that's what Moses is now bringing down the mountain. And the Ten Commandments, again, are a summary of the law. So he goes down with these tablets, and it says when Joshua, Joshua was with him, He was kind of halfway up the mountain. Moses went further up and met with God. Then he comes back down. They they reconnect, and then they travel to the base of the mountain together. Joshua says, there's the sound of war in the camp. And Moses replied, it's not the sound of victory, and it's not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear. He hears the party, the wild party that's taking place at the base of the mountain. And in verse 19, it says, when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf... It's the golden calf and the dancing. His anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. This is clearly symbolic that the people have broken their promises, broken the covenant. And so the covenant tablets, stone tablets are now broken as well. And then... We're gonna see he does three things. He's gonna destroy the idol that they've made. And then after he destroys the idol, he's gonna deal with his brother, the leader in charge, Aaron. And then he's gonna deal with the people. So look what he does to the idol. He took the calf, verse 20, and he made it that they had made, and he burned it in the fire. Then he ground it up to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. So he burns it, grinds up the remains into this fine powder, and probably puts the powder then into the water supply so that the people would be forced to drink it. Then he deals with his brother. What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Now remember, this is Aaron who's going to be the first high priest. This is the guy that's going to wear the insignia on the top of his turban that says the Holy One of God. This is going to be the only guy that gets to go into the Holy of Holies to represent the people and offer atonement. And and he's the one that did all this, that allowed this to happen. And so his brother calls him out on it. And so I'm sure we're going to see Aaron very heartfelt, very remorseful, very repentant. Well, let's read what he says. Verse 22, do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So we, I told him, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. They gave me this gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> now Aaron sounds a lot like my brother and I back in the day not taking any responsibility, blaming anyone and everyone that he could blame. He blames the people. You know how stubborn and rebellious they are. He actually blames Moses. Moses, you've been gone a long time. What's the deal? If you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And then he basically blames God. God brought this out of the fire. And it was all a lie. Moses saw that the people were running wild, That Aaron had let them get out of control, had become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp, and he said, "'Whoever is for the Lord, come to me.' And the Levites rallied to him. And then he said to them, "'This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. "'Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp, "'from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. "'And the Levites did as Moses commanded. "'And on that day about 3,000 of the people died.' Then Moses said, you have been set apart to the Lord today for you were against your own sons and brothers and he has blessed you this day. So basically it was time to repent. And anyone that chose not to repent, not to get rid of the idol and clean up their lives, repent from their sexual immorality and all the other things that were going on, Were judged, violently, were killed. And then Moses, verse 31, goes back to the Lord and he says, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Very interesting statement. Apparently, there's a book that God has written, a book of life, and it's a book that he, Moses says a name could be removed or erased from that book, blot me out. And in essence, what we see here is that Moses, being the good shepherd that he's become, is interceding in behalf of a rebellious people, sin-filled, sinful people and he's basically saying, please forgive them, Lord. And if you can't forgive them, let's make an exchange. Keep me from my eternal life with you. And um, and the Lord replies to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Basically, each person is going to be responsible for his or her own choice. And then he says, verse 34, now go lead the people to the place I spoke of. My angel will go before me. And however, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. What a crazy story. What an ironic interlude. What a surprise. I don't know about you, but when I read stories like this, and there are others, and certainly others with the Israelites, I just want to say, wow, really? How can you so easily forget all of the good that God has done for you? How can you so easily break your promises to God? How can you be a, a people of such weak faith, Such shallow faith, such a fickle faith. Oh, you people of such little faith. Don't you want to say that? Well, when we do say that, we get that little tap, don't we? On the shoulder. That we've learned to know is the Holy Spirit. That still small voice starts speaking. It's the voice of God. And he's basically saying, Scott, hold on a little bit. Better get off your high horse. You see, what we're going to see here is, um, I think, really four key sins. The first sin is the sin of idolatry. That's the one that's up front and quite personal here. It's very easy for us, me, to say, well, you know, gosh, I'm glad I don't have to have that problem. I'm glad I don't have the issue of idolatry, the sin of idolatry. But if we define idolatry as allowing something or someone to take God's rightful place in our lives, then we need to realize, this is just not an Old Testament problem. This is very much a today problem. And this can very much be a Scott problem, a personal problem. We can allow good things to take God's rightful place in our lives. We can allow money or earthly treasures or earthly entertainment. We can allow a relationship, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife, a grandchild, great-grandchild can suddenly take this place, this position, this desire of our hearts that only God deserves and must have. Idolatry is alive and well. And before we judge them, we really need to look in the mirror and see if we truly are obedient in our own lives. The other sin is the sin of forgetfulness, forgetting what God has done for us. You know, it's easy for us to say, how can you experience all of these miracles and see the Red Sea parting and watch that mountain on fire and hear the voice of God and make these promises and then immediately go back on them and become disobedient? You know, the truth is we forget too, don't we? We, the people of God today, have been so super blessed. In so many ways, we've experienced the miracles too. And we've often, many of us have lived very comfortably. And when it gets just a little bit hard, our faith can become very weak, very shallow, very fickle, just like theirs. Then you have the sin of sexual immorality. I'm glad our culture doesn't struggle with that, aren't you? Oh, yeah. We have to take a hard look there. And then ultimately, we have the sin of unrepentance. God wants us to hear stories like this in Scripture and realize how vulnerable we are too. You know, I think when we come to a service like this in a time like this every week, it's really a time for rededication, recommitment, recommitment of our lives, introspection of our own hearts. And so, when we look at this story, we we shouldn't say, "Oh man, what a mess they were." Let's look at our hearts. Let's look at our lives, and let's repent if needed. And if not, let's know that we are vulnerable and we have to guard our hearts every moment of every day. You know, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song of response and you need to respond as the Lord leads you. Every person is accountable to respond to the Lord in whatever way the Lord's leading Maybe there's someone here today that's name is not yet written in the book of life. That's the day, that's the choice for you. If you're ready to make that choice, today can be your day of salvation. If you do make it, make sure you come and let me know or one of the staff know. We'll hang out after the service. We would love to talk with you. We need to talk with you, kind of follow up with you. Maybe your decision is... uh, is about a personal issue related to one of the other things that's mentioned in the story. This is your time. You respond as the Lord leaves. Let's pray.
0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church podcast. If you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us in person each Sunday morning. Our contemporary worship service is at 9 a.m. and our traditional service is at 1115. For more information, be sure to check out our website, cbclr.org.